going through um, Bible doctrines, and a few weeks ago we were talking about in depth more about the Holy Spirit and what He does in our lives. It's very interesting to me that of all the different doctrines that we talk about, and we'll, let's just talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about the Trinity here for a minute. Of the Trinity, it seems in all reality most Christians know more about the Father and the Son than what they truly know about the Spirit of God. And the crazy part about that is the Spirit's the one that lives inside of you. He is the closest one to you of the three in the Godhead. We have access to the Spirit through Jesus Christ, of course, but you've got to understand something. The Spirit of God lives in us, and yet we know the least about Him. And I believe there's, we could go through lots of reasons why that is the case, and I don't know that I have the answers for why that's the reason. I do think that sometimes we as Baptists, you get talking too much about the Spirit of God, and you think you're going to go Pentecostal. And you don't have to worry about that. We're not going Pentecostal or anything like that. But I think we do a disservice to the Spirit of God by the lack of preaching about Him. If I were to go back, and uh, I'm, I'm a guy, I listen to preaching often. Throughout the week, I listen to preaching all the time. Not my own preaching. I, I, have, to, I have to put up with it just like you do here. But I listen to preaching often. And I could go back, and one of the things I enjoy with the Internet is you can go back and hear preachers of yesteryear that you can't hear today. But one of the things that I really pick up and notice, and maybe some of you that have been a Christian for a long time, you would agree. If you disagree, don't say that right now. But I think this is pretty true. It seemed to me, 70s and 80s, you heard a lot of preaching about the need to be filled with the Spirit of God, especially in our Baptist churches. But then I feel like it's gone out the window. You don't hear much preaching on the need of being filled with the Spirit of God today. You say, well, why is that? I don't know. But we need to be just as filled with the Spirit of God today as we've ever needed. And the, it's a command in the Bible to be not drunk with wine where it's excess, but to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so as we think on that, we started last week, we looked at how the Spirit, it regenerates us. We are born again. It brings life to a dead man or a dead lady. That's what the Spirit of God does. Tonight I want to look at how the Spirit liberates us and sets us free, delivers us from some things. So Romans chapter number 8, and one of my favorite chapters in the Bible would have to be Romans chapter number 8. It doesn't get much better than Paul's words under inspiration here in Romans chapter number 8. And we could go through, the whole chapter is awesome and amazing, but I just want to focus in on the first four verses tonight. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Father, I pray that you'd bless the next few minutes as we look at this tonight. And I thank you for what the spirit does in our lives and 
Help us as we study this out to apply it to our lives and our hearts and that we would just be grateful and that we would learn more about the person of the Godhead that lives within us. Thank you for what the Spirit does in us. But I would be wrong not to thank Jesus for dying so the Spirit could live in us. And I would be wrong not to thank the Father for allowing his Son to go through what he went through so that his spirit could dwell in us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We look at this passage of Scripture, and as we dive in tonight, we're going to look at several things. And you got your notes there. Everyone's got an outline that needs one? You'll notice there are lots of verses. We're going to look at a lot of verses tonight. That's what a Bible study is. You should have a lot of verses, uh, hence Bible studies. You see how that works together. Do you remember the day you got saved? How many of you remember the day you got saved? How many of you kind of remember what year it was when you got saved? If you remember what year it was, I want you to shout that out on the count of three. One, two, three. Ninety-three. I hear a 74. Did I hear an 89? Did you, did you get saved in 74? And you got, and you got saved in 74? John and Paul got saved in 74. And I wonder if James did too. You know, sound like the, sound like the apostles' names there. And so, and I know both of them. They're not like the apostles. So, but anyways, um, 74. Did I hear 89? Did someone say 89? Was that you back there? Mona, that was loud. 89. I heard, I heard an 89 real strong. So that was, that must have been the only 89. I said, how about was there, so did someone say, anyone say in the 60s? Was there anyone in the 60s that got saved in the 60s? 50s? Johnette in the 50s? Anyone get saved in the uh, 80s? Yeah, 90s, the 20 zeros, the 2010s, look at all those hands. Praise God for it. Now, how many of you got saved when you were a kid? How many of you got saved as a teenager? For how old were you when you got saved? 16. Juan, how old were you? 17. A long time ago, Juan, huh? A long time ago. I wasn't going to say that to Jennifer. I said that to Juan. Just remember that right there. Um, How many of you got saved as as an adult? Now, those that got saved as an adult, you might be able to answer this question a little bit better as I go through tonight. But do you remember the difference after you got saved? Was there something different than what there was before you got saved? How many of you was, and so I got saved when I was seven. Was there something different? There was something different. And I don't, I can't even describe it completely, so I'm going to let the Bible describe it here in a minute. But how many of you would say that there was a change, that there was something different? After you got, something changed. Something clicked, something changed. You say, I just don't know. Maybe you're just young when it happened, but there should be, there should be a change. There should be. And when we talk about that, what is the change and what is the difference? You know, did you start acting different? How many of you started acting different after you got saved? And maybe it wasn't right away. Maybe it took a little bit of time. But as the Word of God, and this is the thing, sometimes we look at new believers and we're like, we want them to do all the things that they need to right now. Did you all of a sudden get saved and then magically you are the best Christian in the world? And I hope you wouldn't say yes because you're not the best Christian now. None of us are. It didn't happen that way. The Word of God changes us, 
And so the progression happens. And some people, and I, so far I had someone a while back, someone had just gotten saved, started coming to church, and someone came to me and said, Pastor, you need to tell them they need to change this about themselves. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not their Holy Spirit. If they're a child of God, they have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And then a few months later, that person took care of that thing all on their own, and I never said a word. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit can do. It's amazing. And sometimes we as Christians, we've got to be very careful. Pastors got to be very careful. Sometimes pastors try to do the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. I can't do what the Holy Spirit can do. I can give you the Word of God, but it's the Spirit of God that will convict you and lead you to the truth. And that's so important. So let's not try to play the Holy Spirit for people. But when you got saved, something changed. Some of the things that you used to do, all of a sudden you're like, maybe I shouldn't do those things. Maybe it took a little bit of time, but it came. You started reading a book that you didn't before really care that much about, and now that book was coming to life for you. Things change when you get saved. And you say, well, what change takes place? Well, when we think about this, the instant of salvation, the moment you get saved, the Spirit of God indwells the believer. Scripture tells us in in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, and we talked about this on Sunday night, right? Whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. The moment you get saved, you are baptized into the Spirit. And people don't like using those words. Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that comes later on, some people say. If you look in the book of Acts... It did happen later on for some. But what was the problem? The disciples came, and they were confirming that these people got saved, and God was showing them a sign that they got saved. So don't get your doctrine from the book of Acts. Get your doctrine from Paul's epistles. Church doctrine comes from Paul's epistles. And so as we look at this, we see, so the day you got saved, the Spirit of God moved inside of you. And when he comes in, he abides with us forever and he'll never leave. The Bible tells us in John 14, verse 16 through 18, And I pray the Father that he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Isn't it awesome to know the Holy Spirit of God will never leave us? I'll read through the Old Testament. And as I read through there, and Samson's really the one that always sticks out in my mind. But Samson, he was always flirting with wrong and doing wrong. And then we see the fact his hair gets cut and the Spirit of God left him. He didn't even realize the fact that God's Spirit left him. And God's Spirit left him and his life was different. Think about David and his sin. David cries out to God in Psalm 51, Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. God's not going to take the Holy Spirit from you tonight. What Jesus did, he will abide with you forever. How awesome that is. The Bible says we continue there, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. And aren't you grateful that Jesus cared enough? Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross here. And he's still concerned about people. His, he had a big concern. He loved people. He wanted to, he said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. 
Where was everyone to comfort him in his time of need? Nowhere. But he was concerned about people. He says, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to give you the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God comes in and he abides with us forever, it changes us. And when we think about that change, we become a new creature. You're not the person you used to be. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, the scripture says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And you see the key to it all, if any man be in Christ. That is key, being in Jesus Christ. Not you and yourself and what you've done, but if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away, and all things are become new. The problem is, as we go through this life, the book of Ephesians talks about the fact that you've got to put off the old man and put on the new man. So when you get saved, you know, you could look at it this way. You're kind of bipolar when you get saved. You've got a split personality. In reality, you kind of, we kind of do. Because that old man, and wouldn't it be nice if we got saved and the old man went away? And you never had to deal with the old man ever again. And I've heard Christians out there say that, and it's a bunch of baloney. It's not true. The old man is here as long as we have flesh. Someday when we put on, when we take off this flesh, we'll put on incorruption. What a day that's going to be. But as long as we're here, we're going to deal with this flesh. But when you get saved, you have a new man. Do you know the world tonight doesn't have that new man? You know the world cannot, you know the world will look at us Christians and say, you're in bondage to your religion. You're in bondage to Jesus. No, Christ Jesus has made me free. This world is in bondage to sin. You know the reality of it is as a Christian tonight, you have victory over sin. Do you know once you got saved, you can finally say no to sin? You realize that tonight? Because of Jesus Christ. Or someone in this world, they can't say no. They are in bondage to their sin. Christ hath set us free. He has liberated us. The Holy Spirit of God liberates us, and that's what we're going to look at tonight over the next few minutes. And as we look here tonight, we see, number one, that the Holy Spirit, he liberates us, but we are liberated from the sentence of sin. Look at verse number one with me tonight. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, it's interesting. I'll have some people look at that verse, and they'll be like, well, it's conditional at the end. You see that there? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So you're not going to be judged if you walk after the Spirit. That's not what this is saying. And it's interesting to note, we, will, we, we, as, we as Bible believers look at the Word of God and we'll see there are other versions out there in different um, manuscripts that leave certain things out about the blood and different things. It's interesting to me on this one, most don't have that last phrase in it. It ends at the point there where it says, there is therefore now condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. That is truth there. But I also want you to see, so if it says here, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, once you're saved in Christ, you are in the Spirit. Do you realize that tonight? You're not just in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. This is not conditional. You're not going to be, when you get to heaven someday, I want you to realize something. You've been set free from your sin. When you stand before God, you are not going to be judged on your sin. Now, all, this is the other problem we got, though. 
We as Christians hear that, and so we can live our lives, we can do whatever we want, and I'm not going to be judged for my sin. But every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and you will give an account to God for the life you live and what you do with what God's given to you. And I want you to know there's going to be a lot of Christians that are not going to be very thrilled the day they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I am grateful tonight I'm not judged on my sin. There's two judgments coming. And I could have taken more time and given you more notes on these things. But you have the judgment seat of Christ, which happens after the rapture. And that's at a time when we are judged and not judged. We are giving an account to God for what we've done with what he's given to us. There are parables that talk about this. The man given one talent, the one given two, the one given five, and the one with five doubles it, and he gets a well done, thou good and faithful servant. The one with two gets something similar to that, and the one with one took his talent, buried it, and he didn't get a good report. And at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to be rewarded crowns from God that we are going to cast at his feet. And I have, I have a feeling there are going to be a lot of Christians that have no crowns to cast at Jesus' feet. Because they do nothing with what God's given to you. I would not take that lightly, but tonight we're not talking about that. Someday, at the end of time, death and hell are going to be cast up before God. And when that happens, the great white throne judgment takes place. And the Bible says that all those that knew not the Lamb, and those whose names are not found in the Lamb's book of life, will be judged based on their sin. And when you look at that, they will be, we talk about, people talk about being saved by works. You're not saved by works, but you will be judged by your works if you're not saved. I sincerely believe that hell will be worse for some than others. Is any hell good? No, no hell is good. But the Bible makes it clear that they're judged by their works. So you might have a man that lived a good life here on earth, never trusted Christ, and then you have Hitler next to him. I think Hitler's hell will be a little worse than that other man based on them being judged by their works, the scripture says. You see, we're not getting judged on our works because all of our works are filthy rags. We're getting judged on Christ's righteousness. He took the price. He went through hell so we could be set free. But that day, sin will be judged. Being a Christian night, having Christ... Being in Christ tonight, your sin has been paid for. And when, and when Christ cried out on the cross that day, it is finished. He paid it all. It didn't just pay for some of it, and you're trying to keep your salvation today. No, when Christ died on the cross, he settled it once for all. He paid the sin debt never to be paid again on our part. And when you trust Christ at that moment, the Spirit of God moves in. And as we see here, there is no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus. And thank God for that. We see, first of all, tonight, as we're liberated from the sense of sin, we see letter A, a promise found. And this verse reminds us that when we're saved, we are saved from the wrath of God. Do you realize God's wrath is a real thing tonight? We love to talk about the love of God, the peace of God, and all these other areas of God. But do you realize tonight, just as God is a God of love, he's a God of judgment. And as a God of judgment, justice must be paid. Justice must be met. 
And if God was willing to take his son and throw his wrath on his son for all of our sin, he's going to do the same thing. And the Bible even talks about the fact that God's wrath abides on those that are not saved tonight. We look at what the Bible says, John 3, 36, tells us, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Do you see how simple the Bible makes it? I don't understand why we complicate it so much. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. What you do with Jesus is the most important thing you will ever decide in your life. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Tonight, someone who does not know Christ their Savior, if you're sitting here tonight and you're not saved, or anyone in this world tonight that is living their lives, they, don't, they might not even realize it, but God's wrath is abiding on them at this very moment. And the only hope they have of removing that wrath of God is by accepting his grace and his mercy and accepting his son. You've been set free, but those without Christ have not. And we see it's a promise from the scriptures. Think about what the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 3, before our salvation, and you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, look at this, the children of wrath, even as others. I, I, I hear Christians all the time use this phrase, and I wish we as Christians would quit using this. We're all children of God. We need to quit using that phrase because it's not true. So, well, we're made in the image of God. That's what the Bible says. That's true. But when man decided to sin, we're not God's children. We're children of wrath. Do you see what the verse says right there? Why? Because God's wrath abides on us. When you get saved, you're adopted into God's family. And we're going to talk about how the Spirit adopts us in a few weeks. That's another area that we're going to go into. But as we look at this, we think about these things. Think what Psalm 917 tells us. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. If you do not have Christ, you will be judged for your sins. And you'll notice, not only is there a promise here, but we see what makes the difference. It's not about how good you are, or what you do. It's about Jesus Christ and what he did. We look at our text verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter, and you think about that phrase, Jesus is the one who makes all the difference tonight. You can be in church and die lost. You can be a good neighbor and die lost but when you're in Jesus, you are saved forever. What the Hebrews 7.25 tells us, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost. I love that. Save them to the uttermost. I love the words the Bible uses. I love that. Exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. It just keeps on going. 
Like this one, or save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Who's him? Jesus. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. The Bible tells us in John 10, 28, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And when you're in Christ, nothing can get you out of his hand. Think about what 1 Peter 1, verse number 5 tells us, who are kept, how are we kept tonight? By the good works that we do. No, 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 no. We are kept by the power of God. Through, self, through faith and a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Jesus is the only refuge that we can have. And he helps us and ministers to us and does so much. And I think about what 1 John 5, 12 tells us. This verse makes it plain and simple. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You see tonight as a believer... And when the Spirit moves in, you see we're delivered from the sentence of sin. Why? Or what's the promise? Sin's going to be judged. But Jesus was judged, so you don't have to be. And the difference on how not to be judged for your sin is based on what you do with Jesus Christ. Number one, we see we're liberated from the sentence of sin. Number two, we see we're liberated from the control of sin. Look at verse number two. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now as we look there, we see there are two laws mentioned there, right? Look at verse two. The law of the spirit of life and the law of sin and death. So the spirit brings life, right? And the law brings death. When you think about those things, let's break that down a little bit. We see, first of all, letter A, we look at the law of the sin life. When we think about this, the lost person, the person without Christ, has three masters. Did you know that tonight? The three masters that we have. And we go back to Ephesians chapter number 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, and you at the quicken who are dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And really when we, and among whom also we had our conversations, time past and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You see, before salvation, there are three things that control us. The flesh right? The flesh controls us. The world, we read these verses, and then the devil, right? When you look at what the Bible says there. And any person who has never trusted Christ as his Savior is not in control of their own life. They think they are, but they are blind, and they cannot spiritually see and when we think about these things, and you look at our world, and you look at the wickedness that takes place, and you see all the things unfolding before our very eyes, it's because the flesh, the world, and the devil are the masters of those that are not saved. When we look at that, that's what happens. That's what happens with sin. 
Sin does not end well. The wages of sin is still death. That hasn't changed and is not going to change. And as we think on those thoughts, I want you to realize also as we look at the delivered from these things, we think about the law of the spirit life. As we look at the law of the spirit life here, and thank God we're not under control of the sin, but as an unbeliever, the flesh, the world, and the devil control us. But what does the Bible say? Look at that verse again. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. When Jesus comes into a life, he changes everything. And through him and through the power of the Spirit, we are given the ability to stand up against the flesh, the world, and the devil. Not on our own, but through his power and what he does. You, I want you to understand something tonight. You and I are not strong enough to stand against this world. You and I are not strong enough to stand against the devil. If the archangels couldn't, if they needed the Lord to rebuke Satan, if Michael couldn't do it himself, don't think you're strong enough to stand against the devil. You are not. I know, and I don't, I don't like them. Those songs we teach our kids about you can throw the devil in a river, hang him on a line, you can put him in a little box and you can beat him up and put him back again. We're p- making the devil this little thing that we can beat up ourselves. He's much stronger than that. That's why the Bible says you've got to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You're not going to hang a lion on a little line and throw him in the river. It doesn't work that way. You are not strong enough to take on the devil. You are not strong enough to beat your flesh tonight. And you know one of the problems sometimes we, th- we have as Christians is we think, I can do this myself. You cannot do it yourself. You need the power of God. You need the Spirit of God. I've used the example often. I don't want to beat a dead horse, keep beating this thing into you. But when it came to losing weight, I could not have the self-control I need. And Brian still doesn't have it. I beg God and beg God and beg God. I need your spirit and his power. And it changed things. It made it work. Not because Brian was so great at something. Brian still isn't great at anything. Brian still doesn't have the self-control he needs. But there's a God that sent his spirit to live inside of me. And that spirit has the power to say no. And if I yield to my flesh, my flesh will never say no. But if I let the Spirit of God work, I can say no. That's the difference that takes place inside of us. And the Bible tells us when we talk about the law of the Spirit life, we're delivered from the bondage, and you can live a new life in Jesus Christ. Realize this, you can say no to sin now. An unbeliever cannot say no. They will do what their master wants them to do. But when Jesus Christ moves in and the Spirit of God lives inside of you, now you can say no to sin. The Bible tells us in Romans 6, verse 6 and 7, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, 
that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Do us all well to reckon ourselves dead, wouldn't it? That old man should be dead. But we let that old man sure run a lot in our lives, don't we? He's been defeated. Well, the Bible says later on in that same chapter, Romans 6, verse number 11, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion under you, over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace." You know, there is no excuse as a believer today to live a wicked life. You don't have to. Now, this is the thing. You're not going to be perfect, and you're not going to always do what's right. And I don't want this to sound bad to you, but through the Spirit of God, you do have the power to be perfect. That's not a false statement. You do have the power to be perfect. We won't be till someday. But you don't have to yield yourself to sin. The problem is we do. It would do us well to realize that old man, he's been crucified. He's dead. So quit letting that old man run the show. Let God run the show in your life. We'll go down a few more verses in that same chapter to verse 17 and 18. It says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Do you see the fact we're not under the bondage and in bondage to sin? When you get saved, you become servants of righteousness. There's a big difference there. What a truth. You have been delivered from sin. We have in Jesus the tools to live a holy life that you cannot live apart without Jesus Christ. The Spirit has delivered us or liberated us from the sentence of sin, from the control of sin. And thirdly and lastly tonight, we've been liberated from the weakness of sin. The law, look at what it says here, for the, what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. As we look at these things, we see the fact, letter A, we see how weak the law is. When we talk about the weakness of the law, verse 4 tells us, and as we look there in verse number 3, it says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and forced and condemned sin in the flesh. The Bible makes it clear. 
that the law is weak. The law, and the law, we can look at other passages. The law, the point of the law, <coughs> was to teach us that we could never do it on our own. It was to teach us we needed a Savior. That's why you look at people that say, well, I keep the law. No, not if you, you break one little bit of the law, you're condemned. And we've all broken the law. Say, Pastor, I've never, you liar. You, we've all broken the law, God's law. And God, the law was never there for, and that's where, you know, you re, sometimes I hear Christians say, well, the Old Testament, it was, you know, if they kept the law, they got to heaven. It's amazing that I hear people say that. When the Bible says the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he doesn't change, I believe they had to look forward to Christ. We look back to Christ. It's all about Christ. The law, it was never intended to be kept by us perfectly. The law was meant to teach us you can't do it on your own. It's not, you're never going to be able to. You need Christ. And Christ lived a sinless life in flesh and said, I'll show you how it's done. I'll show you what you need. And as we look at this, the Bible makes it clear there in verse number three that the law failed and Christ prevailed. The law couldn't make us righteous. In fact, all the law could do was point out the fact that we were wrong. The Bible tells us in Romans 7, verse number 7, it says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. How are we going to know what's right and wrong without the law, right? But the law didn't, you couldn't keep all the law. And when we think about these things, Jesus died. And think about what Isaiah 53, verse number 5 tells us. Isaiah 53, verse number 5. One more, Joe. Isaiah 53, verse 5. There we go. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And look at this. And with his stripes were healed. The weakness that the law brought in, the only way to fix that weakness was Jesus. And what he paid on the cross for us. And you see the weakness of the law, but let her be. And lastly tonight, we see the work of the Lord. Verse 4 tells us there that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. When Jesus comes in and we're saved, righteousness of the law, the whole righteousness of the law, is fulfilled in us. Now, when we look at that and we think about that, my mind goes to Romans 5, verse number 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I think about, and let's make sure we understand something tonight. And sometimes we look, we look at that phrase again there in verse number 4. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's not saying only if you do this, then that's the case. When you're saved, you walk in the Spirit. An unsaved person cannot walk in the Spirit. But as we look at this, we are justified just as if we never sinned, but we have sinned. 
but God looks at us as if we had not sinned through Jesus. So tonight, when you sin, or you, oh, I forgot, we got good Christians in the room. When you sin tomorrow, okay, you're not going to sin the rest of tonight. You're good Christians in this room. And, but when you sin tomorrow, guess what? When God looks at you, he does not see your sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ on us is what he sees. He doesn't see your sin. And I know some of us are thinking, that's just, he sees my, he doesn't see your sin. Your imputed righteousness. And you're not being judged on your sin. So I know there are Christians out there, well, I can live my life and do as I please then because God doesn't see my sin. If that's really your attitude about it, I would really go home and make sure you're saved. Because that's not the way a saved person lives. That shouldn't even enter into your mind. That sounds like how the world does its things. I can just do as I please. No, you're going to stand before God someday. You're going to even account for the life you live after all Jesus has done for you. But you've been justified. You've been made clean. His righteousness is on you tonight. And thank God for it. 